Okay, as we continue our study through the book of Romans here on the Listener's Commentary, we left off in our last session in verse 17 of Romans chapter 8. And that verse ends by talking about two things, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. Well, those two themes really become the springboard for everything else that follows in chapter 8. And so Paul now moves to elaborating this theme of suffering and glory. And in doing so, what he does is he locates us on the map of salvation. Yes, we've been saved, but no, we haven't received all that God has promised yet. And this is our current location, and this is our current situation, so that we don't fully see the glory that is ours both now and in the future to come. We're saved, as Paul will say in the the section we're going to look at here on this session. We're saved, he says, in hope. And now we, along with all of creation, suffer and groan while we wait for the fulfillment of all things. We suffer and groan as we wait with anticipation for our inheritance as God's children. And so this section that begins here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and following, really continues exploring this idea of this tension we experience between being God's children, having the Spirit, uh, looking forward to uh, life, and the Spirit's going to give us life, and we're God's children, and we're heirs. We have all of this stuff. We just don't have it fully yet. There's still more to come, and so we live in the in-between time. We live in between the already of what God has accomplished in Christ and the not yet of what is still to come. That's where we live on the map of salvation and the tension between the already and the not yet. And what Paul wants us to know is that in that tension and in the suffering and in the struggle of the present time, it doesn't compare to what's going to come in the future. And not only that, in the struggle, in the tension of the present time, we have help, the very help of God's Spirit to lead us through to the final day and to the reception of all that God has promised for us. And so Paul begins Romans 8 verse 18 by saying, for I consider, that is, I calculate, I've done the math. That's the idea of the word consider here. It's our word logizomai that we saw way back in chapter 4, and we've seen it in chapter 6. We see it again here. It's reckon, it's consider, it's calculate, it's do the math, add things up, think things through. And so he says, I've done the math. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice those two words, suffering and glory, that flow right out of verse 17. We're God's children. We're heirs. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. And Paul says, and the suffering doesn't hold a candle to the glory that's going to come. As heavy as the suffering might seem, if you were to put it on a scale, and then on the other side of that balance scale, you would put the glory that's going to come. Well, the glory is so much greater, so much weightier that it doesn't, uh, that the suffering is just immediately outweighed by the glory. And so Paul says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with to the glory that's going to be revealed 
to us. And then that sets the trajectory for everything that follows where we're going to explore this theme of the present time. Yes, we have an inheritance. Yes, we have glory to look forward to. But in the present time, we experience difficulty, confusion, hardship, and suffering. Um, and so he's going to explore this tension that we live in in what follows. And so he says in verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation wakes eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Let's keep reading through verses 20 and 21 so that you can hear the whole flow of thought, and then we'll come back and clarify some of this. So in verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right, let's walk back down through verses 19 through 21 and try to make sense out of what he's getting at. The key idea of these verses is that the whole creation itself groans for the coming glory of that final day. Like, not just we groan, not just we suffer, but creation itself is looking forward to that day. And so, verse 19, creation has this anxious longing as creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So, the picture Paul is painting in verse 19 is of the whole physical creation, the whole universe, the earth itself, everything, uh, waiting eagerly for the day that the curtain's going to be pulled back all things are going to be revealed or restored, and God's children are going to be revealed in glory for who they really are and going to inherit all things. That, that day of glory, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the revealing of the sons of God. He's talking about us as God's children being revealed in all our glory and all things being restored. And he's saying, man, creation itself is looking forward to and longing for that day. Um, and even groaning, he'll say, for that day in what follows. So creation is looking forward to this, this great and final day. And then he explains why that's the case in verses 20 and 21. Why is that the case? Well, creation itself was subjected to futility. And so the physical order, the physical creation in some way has been subjected to futility. The idea of futility is decay and corruption and breaking down. It may even, uh, in our modern scientific language, refer to things connected with the second law of thermodynamics, right? Where, where everything tends towards disorder and decay, right? Like creation um, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, meaning God, because of God who subjected creation, so that creation somehow was subjected to futility uh, under God's good wisdom for whatever reason. This seems to be an allusion back to Genesis chapter 3, where uh, creation undergoes the curse, right, that comes in connection with the fall of human beings. And so what in a biblical worldview, in a biblical theology, the order that things were supposed to be in was God as ruler over all of creation. Humans uh, in partnership with God, in attachment to God as co-rulers then over the earth, uh, and then all things working properly because of that connection between God through humans and then down through the created physical world. Well, when humans broke faith with their creator and rebelled and sinned, right, that threw everything out of whack 
and it threw the whole chain of command out of whack. And so now everything is is working improperly, not working the way it's supposed to. It's it's shipwrecked, right? It's broken down. It's running down because human beings um, were supposed to work in partnership with God to be co-rulers all, over all of this, and now it's all broken, right? And so, in that uh, in that understanding of a uh, biblical view of creation, what Paul is getting at is someday the children of God are going to be restored to their proper order. It's going to put everything back to proper working order again. But in the meantime, creation is subjected to futility. And it's subjected, he says, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so on that day when we humans are restored to our full proper working position as co-rulers with God over this world, as kings and queens of the, the, the created world, on that day, then even creation itself is going to be set free from its slavery to corruption. It's going to be redeemed and liberated into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This ultimately is the expectation of the new heavens and the new earth, which uh, was first spoken about in Isaiah 65, verse 17, is picked up again in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and following, and then again in Revelation 21, uh, verse 1 and following, where God promises to bring a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, creation, Paul's point here in Romans chapter 8, creation is longing for that day, is groaning for that day, is eagerly expecting that day. It's looking forward to that day that creation longs and is on tiptoe and in anticipation of that great day when all things are going to be made new and when creation itself is going to actually work the way God originally designed it to work. And so Paul says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The picture of creation groaning and suffering as a God is working with creation, trying to bring about a new creation out of it. Um, and Paul uses the imagery of childbirth. It's like, it's like God's birthing a brand new world out of the midst of this present world uh, through all that he's doing through Christ and the Spirit and through his children uh, who are going to be a part of this brand new world someday. And so creation is suffering. It's groaning, but it's doing so in anticipation of something beautiful and holy and good that's going to come. And then Paul goes on in verses 23 through 25 and says, And likewise, we groan. Not only is creation groaning to be set free from its bondage to decay and its slavery to corruption, but we groan too as we wait for that day, right? Like creation isn't working right. That creates all sorts of hardship, difficulty, and suffering for us. We're part of this broken down world. And so as creation longs and looks forward and groans for that day, we also groan as we look forward to that day. So look what he says in verse 23. He says, and not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Man, there is so much in verse 23 to think through as we 
process where we live and what life is like and what we're looking forward to. He says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And so we as spirit people, right, the Spirit has come to dwell in us. Well, we the Spirit is like the first fruits. He's like the initial pledge, the initial down payment of all that God is going to give us in the future. And so the Spirit himself are like the very first fruits. They're like the taste, the appetizer of the glory that is to come. And so we enjoy the Spirit now, and yet we know He promises more to come in the future. And so the Spirit's present in us and among us is the first part of this new creation that is broken into the here and now, promising more to come. And so we look forward to that more. Not only that, in the present time, enjoying the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves, right? There's this there's this angst, there's this groaning, there's this longing for more. And so we groan within ourselves. And as we groan, we're doing so because we're waiting eagerly. We're waiting with anticipation. We're looking forward with anticipation. We're waiting eagerly for, he says in verse 23, our adoption as sons. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Didn't Paul just say up above uh, that we already have received a spirit of adoption as sons? Yes, he said that in verse 15. So what does it mean that we're waiting for our adoption as sons? And this is a perfect example of the tension between the already and the not yet that fills the New Testament uh, letters, fills New Testament theology that we've experienced already in part but not yet everything in full. We live in this tension. So we've already experienced uh, part of our adoption. We've received the Holy Spirit who marks us out as God's children. And so we've experienced that part already of our adoption. But we haven't experienced everything that our adoption has to offer. And so we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And notice how he clarifies exactly what he means. The next phrase is specifically, the redemption of our body. And so the part we're looking forward to is the redemption of our body when we'll get a new body that won't be corrupted, dying, and broken down, right? Remember, the body is death because of sin, yet the Holy Spirit is life uh, because of righteousness. And so we're waiting for the day promised by the pledge of the Spirit when we'll get a resurrected body, a new body that'll go along with that new earth, that new creation, and everything will be the way God intended it to be. And so we live in this tension between uh, the already and the not yet, between what we've experienced already in part, but not yet what we look forward to in full. And so along with creation, we grow as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. He goes on in verse 24 and says, this is what it means to have hope. This is the, the place where we live. And so he says, for in hope we have been saved, right? Like we notice have been saved already. We have been saved. We've experienced salvation. It has been given to us, right? So we have been saved, accomplished fact, but we've been saved in hope, future orientation. And so our salvation doesn't uh, intend to give us everything right now already, we're saved in hope. So we're looking forward to a new and glorious future for ourselves and for the present world when God makes all things new. So for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. And so 
Hope, by very definition, is an unseen thing. It's something we look forward to. It's something we anticipate. And it's really important to understand the biblical definition of hope. Oftentimes, in the English language, the word hope almost means a wish, right? Like, gee, I sure hope I get. Uh, Gee, I sure hope that. And we're wishing, kind of hoping and wishing that something turns out or we receive something, right? But the biblical word hope is much more certain than that. The the word hope in the Bible is a, a reference to a future event that we do not yet have, but is certain to come. So it's a confident expectation of some future event. That's hope in the Bible, a confident expectation of some future event. And so we're saved in hope. So we confidently expect, we're not wishing like, gee, I sure hope it turns out all right. We're looking forward to it with anticipation because we know, we confidently expect it to happen because of what God has promised and what God has done for us already. So we, we've been saved in hope. We just don't see it yet because by very definition, hope is future. Hope is something that we don't see. So hope that is seen is not hope for he who hopes for what he already sees. He who, you know, who hopes for what he already has, right? Like that's not the way hope works. So hope by very definition is an unseen reality in the future that we confidently wait for and expect to happen. And so he says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, with endurance, we eagerly wait for it. And so that's the, that's the place we live at the present time. We live in this tension between the already and the not yet. We live in a world that's uh, subject to futility and corruption and breaking down and dying. We, uh, we still have a body that's part of that fallen world that's subject to death and dying, right, because of the condemnation of sin. And so we just haven't received all that God is going to give us yet. And so um, we hope for what we do not see, and thus in the present we live with perseverance. We live with endurance as we eagerly look forward to all that God is going to give us in the future. Now let's just wrap up these few verses with some concluding reflections uh, out of this section. The repetition of groaning is obvious and intentional in this section, and we need to hear that. Creation groans. We groan. In fact, verse 26 that we'll pick up in our next session carries that theme forward even by saying that the Spirit himself within us groans. God's Spirit groans. And so more on that in our next session. But groaning, that is part of the world we now live in. That's part of our experience. Paul's point is to describe the present state of affairs as a time of groaning because our redemption isn't fully accomplished yet. And so um, it is groaning, but it's the groaning of childbirth, right? He used that imagery. It's groaning what's associated with with a beautiful, glorious, joy-filled goal and with great anticipation. That's That's the groaning of childbirth, and that's the groaning of our present time. We groan right now. We ache right now. We wish things were different right now, but it's groaning that looks forward to a beautiful, glorious, joy-filled goal. 
also notice in these verses the repetition of wait eagerly. It shows up in verse 19, shows up in verse 23, shows up in verse 25. This too is our stance or our posture in the present situation. As we groan, we are leaning forward with eagerness, waiting for what is to come. Our stance in the present time is one of eager anticipation and expectation. Now, this is no mere passive waiting, however. Um, we're active in this, right? We carry out this stance as we walk by the Spirit. Um, and as we look forward to the future that is to come, we do so with perseverance. And so we're, we're involved. We're hanging in there. We're enduring. We're persevering with our eyes firmly focused forward in great anticipation for all that God is going to give us as his children. And at this point here then in uh, Romans 5 through 8, this great section of Romans 5, chapters 5 through 8, right? We actually emerge back where we began. We began in chapter 5 with peace with God, right? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're here again, though now stated in terms of being beloved children, free to address him as Abba Father. Uh, we began rejoicing in hope in chapter 5. Well, we're here again, waiting with eagerness for the hope that God has promised us. We began in chapter 5 with endurance as we wait for that hope, and we're here again in hope, enduring through the groanings and the difficulties of the present time. And so the, the themes that began in the beginning of chapter 5 at the beginning of the section are beginning to come full circle now as Paul has worked out for us how God has given us this great assurance of a glorious future, how he set us free from sin, death, and condemnation, how he's freed even our broken bodies from sin and death through his spirit and how he's going to resurrect all that. We've come full circle to see this inheritance that we have now being promised to us and that we look forward to with great anticipation. And so we live in the present, marked by the future, and waiting for that future to come eagerly, we live in hope.